Watch this. It's weird having you on the pod, though, isn't it? Because for for most of the time, we've quite enjoyed standing behind Simon, Hay- standing in front of rather Simon Haynes' good work, mm. be it imagery on a film, yeah, or the odd the odd nugget. And yet, we've known each other for years and never actually got you on the pod because it felt like, oh, what we're going to do? We can't just bring you on and talk about black and white photos. Well, can we? it's kind of difficult to yeah show my black and white pictures on on air. Mm. Got a face for Twitter. When did we Not first play together? <coughs> I got a feeling the first time I met you, you were a guest of Cows at Blackwell. Probably, yeah. And I think then probably a year or two elapsed, but then in earnest, then probably 2020 at some point, and then we spent quite a bit of time together since. Yeah. Probably, yeah, it would have been through Cal, who, who I knew through the surveyor scene in Birmingham. Is that the day job, surveyor? Not for me now. I, I sell broadband rock and roll for BT. But that's not the that's not I'd say your primary passion, is it? Certainly not, no. So um How no. would you introduce yourself? Are you like a an architecture expert? Are you a golf historian? Probably where does one stop and where does the next begin? Probably a golf course historian. Okay. Um so I'm certainly uh, whilst I have a passion for sort of all things history and i'd say probably pre pre world war 2 would be my sweet spot um but my primary interest is uh, the history of courses the design and then you kind of naturally go into stuff that's happened on them so it takes you into players quite a bit uh and, and i guess if i was into players uh it, it would be bobby jones over anything else so but it's the history of courses and the design, really, which I got into through my home club. There's, there's thousands of directions we're going to take this, and there's loads of things we need to talk about, and I can't wait till we get onto the primary reason we've got you on. But We should start with the setting. We should start with where we're sat, just for our listeners' benefit, because they might hear some jangling of glasses. Mm. We're, um, we're in a pub, which is quite nice, a pub in... Redline. In a bit Alva of Pete Dye influence around us, would you say? The timber, yeah. There's, there's some sleepers keeping the ceiling. Timber up. retaining wall, keeping yeah. us from the bar. But no, it's a, it's 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 kind of a halfway house of where we all live. Simon is currently sipping on a a Guinness while while Sam and I are having our our pissy lagers. But let's let's start from the beginning with it, Simon. Really and. Where does the passion start? Where does golf start for you? And why suddenly the nerdiness over uh, the history of the game? And it is, uh, yeah, it's a pretty, pretty niche rabbit hole I've ended up going down. <laughs> so uh, pretty, pretty normal getting into golf story. So I grew up um, playing golf with my father. Um, joined Copteeth Golf Club in, in the UK Midlands in... 1989 as a sort of 13-year-old kid, at which point um, I I would play a lot of local courses and always appreciate my home club being better than average. Mm. And then increasingly my my father would take me on away days and we'd go and play courses all around the country and 
then you really start to appreciate the difference between good and bad golf. And the more I looked into it, the more I found synergies with good places in my home club uh, through the architect Harry Colt. So Harry Colt designed Cop Teeth in 1913, 1912, 1913, um, which was pretty much his heyday. Um, mm. So he, he ret- uh, stood down as secretary of Sunningdale in the sort of March of that year uh, to go to be the first real first full-time architect yeah traveling that, architect that, yeah that wasn't a professional golfer prior he was to the that. first one to really create that profession right yeah and, it, and he, i mean he was building courses prior to that but that was really his probably most productive year if you look at um you've got st george's hill uh the likes of camberley heath cop teeth and a bunch of others in that south birmingham belt he was working in because he was a Worcestershire lad originally, wasn't he? Went to uh, school in Malvern. Yeah. Yeah, played on the Common. I think he played his first golf on the Common uh, course, which doesn't exist anymore. Um, but, uh, yeah, and then had his first real taste of designing courses down in Rye, which he famously uh, famously worked on in 1890-something. So he was building courses before he went sort of full-time. But that 1913 year was the real sort of stepping out from his day job to just be a full-time architect. And and then he went over to the States and his his one trip is a bit like Mackenzie's trip down to Australia Mm. um, in the mid-20s. It's a pretty seminal moment in American course design. Um, Was that the finishing of Pine Valley then? Well, it wasn't the finishing, but it was the uh, really helping... um, finalized the routing um that crump had been struggling a bit to complete um so famously colt on his visit so he was there for a week staying in a tent on the property there in sort of late may 1913 and late may just pause there so when you say late may i feel yeah. like you've gone you're living in a different era and I think you're, that's where you're able to talk about dates with precision. Because anyone yeah. would have given you a pass on May 1913. No one would have gone, this guy's an absolute amateur. Like, anyone knows that was the 23rd of May. Well, like, it, how do you know that? We, we are uh, a friend of mine based over in Chicago, uh, John Challenger. He's trying to get down to the specifics of the hotel he stayed in and what he had for breakfast. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, some of the work that we're doing with historians around the world, actually filling in some of the blanks, has helped uh, with some work they're doing in Chicago because Colt was in Chicago on that trip. He'd been to Detroit uh, previously and uh, Hamilton and Toronto Golf Club up in Canada as well. And um, Massive he, travel. You were in those days, yeah, if you think you were going on a, uh, a ship across the uh, Atlantic, it would take you five to seven days to cross. And then you're on railroad. Mm. Um, so, yeah, we, we've been doing some work to try and piece together uh, his whereabouts in Chicago because he worked um, at Old Elm and Indian Hill, which are John's home clubs, and they're trying to figure out exactly what he did at Indian Hill. If, um, you, if you excuse my ignorance, um, what kind of legacy has Colt got in America? Like, what, what, what clubs was he... Obviously, he's famous for being involved with Pine Valley. Yeah. Outside of that, I didn't know, I wasn't aware he had a massive kind of influence in America. Yeah, so, well, the Colt um, design company, I guess, if you include Allison and Mackenzie in that, um, obviously had, had a pretty wide-ranging mm. 
Were they together for a while, Colt and Mackenzie? Yeah, um, although they didn't do any work together. They kind of split. Um, mm. When Mackenzie was over in the, the UK, he, he would do a lot of the northern courses and leave the south to, to Colt. But most of the work in America was sort of Colt did three trips. So he was leaving people with plans. Um, and a lot of those plans still exist. The, Pine Valley ones famously with some beautiful old plans at Old Elm as well in Chicago um, but Allison um, was probably the, the the most prolific member of that partnership over in the States and obviously into Japan as well yeah, um, and Colt didn't travel after um, the First World War to the States that was it he just did those three trips wedged between his finishing at Sunningdale and going uh, uh, the First World War well, it's off. been said a few times isn't it on the pod like the, the characteristic between Colt and McKenzie is so different you know Colt was like a bit of a home home bod maybe like a sort of a mo- man of modest means is the picture I get someone who was you know very competent but you know was quite happy knowing he was competent and he wasn't at all flamboyant and McKenzie was you know the ultimate salesman yeah, and, and master himself. tactician yeah um, but just before we get too too far down that rabbit hole like you when you're playing junior golf and obviously you're there playing a bit at cop teeth you sort of you know quite like this golf course you play the junior circuit around the midlands a little bit yeah. you play some yep. of the stuff and you you play the newer stuff but then you go to maybe like mosley or whatever and you go and say oh there's some similarities you start to build a picture in your head when did the sort of sort of penny drop where it was like oh, okay i can actually really buy into this whole architecture stuff or was it is it just a gradual evolution no, the I more you play does it start with just wanting to play more courses and then you become into that by by proxy i don't know yes yeah, so i can remember going on uh trips my father to wentworth and and having seen it on tv uh, match play and yeah you saw it twice a year on, on, on British terrestrial TV so it was a bit like Augusta you saw it every year it was very familiar um, and I, I loved I loved that place probably more then than I do now um, and Royal Porthcawl so I used to spend a lot of time at Porthcawl and, and, and just absolutely loved it and I can remember clearly seeing the Tom Simpson sketch in the, yeah, it's in great. the locker the aerial room sketch thinking is great. it was really cool and it's still there now and yeah. Tom Simpson is uh, well was an incredible architect but also a ridiculously talented artist so those sketches are just are just awesome mm. yeah. well we've got some of the uh, some of the old sketches of, of Blackwell yeah. which are obviously just fabulous to look at when when you're growing up and you know you said you, you grew up playing cop teeth and and playing <laughs> you know fourth call these aren't but these, these are good places you're on the junior circuit as well i imagine if someone grows up on a diet of caviar it, it tastes a bit weird when they when they suddenly eat fish fingers yeah like, or a badly packed kebab at the belfry when did that sort of no, but no, you've got to play. You you've got to have the bad. You know, you've got to well, play no, bad courses as well. But like, it's That's almost like thing. you don't know what you have. You know, when you play, like, yeah. and most courses I find a... have some discernible quality. Like, I, I, very, very few courses I think I've ever played that don't have one redeemable feature. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But like, I think if you, like you love Painswick, yeah, and do, it's yeah. like, yeah, that's like, that's outlandish and provocative. It's, it's not like it's not the world's greatest golf course by any stretch, but it's a lot of fun. 
Yeah, it's a lot and of And then good you've golf. got other places. So you know what I mean? Like, I, I think yeah, I, so I much of it is about different flavours than necessarily. In, in, engagement for me was really, I've got the attention threshold of a gnat. So yeah. I, I can very quickly lose interest. And uh, I mean, if you live in the Midlands, a lot of kids growing up dream about playing the Belfry. Um, that's, that's nationwide as well, though, uh, isn't it? Like people it, want it to play probably is, but yeah, I mean, especially, I mean, I, I, I grew up in the 80s, so, yeah, I mean, Ryder with Cup the Ryder Cup, big. yeah, and I went to a couple of them as a youngster, and uh, it, the course never did anything for me. Uh, it just sort of was But so much of that is that I've seen it on TV, and it's a generational thing, and having the British Masters there will not create that same generational pull that may be... Yeah, it's they always, were really big years in the Ryder right? Cup, though. They were really big years in the Ryder Cup and yeah. the Belfry, weren't they? And I think that means that whole generation of that sort of, maybe we're in our 30s. Smidgemore. Um, Thanks. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he's, already, he's already given it away. Um, yeah. No, but there's that, that whole generation then have a big pull to it because there's, I maybe see, well, I don't wish bad fortune on the Belfry, but mm. I, I suspect that that might change. I think yeah. before... Before we get into um, to, to what to what we get got you here for, it'd be interesting. You touched on with Sam touched on Painswick. You put us on to, or certainly put me on to Painswick. Um, I'd say you're a big champion uh, of course in the Cotswolds in general. Yeah. Do you think it's an under underrepresented part underrepresented part of British golf? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so the sort of I, 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 don't, I don't know quite how to categorise it because it's not Parkland, it's not Heathland. I think it's probably uh, probably Meadow Golf. This is it's <laughs> right. Pretty, exactly. it's, pretty, it's pretty rudimentary, um, and to a lot of people would think it's Mickey Mouse just yeah. by looking <laughs> well, at it. Well, they would. Yeah. Um, however, there's some proper golf to be had. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the designs are Victorian era they're sort of heroic mm. school of utterly bonkers hazards that you would just yeah, never like David Brown put it down didn't he at Painswick I think yeah, open champion we're going yeah. back one of uh, the muscle bro, the five they muscle these weird golfers places to, to, to put the, the holes so it's like that once they'd laid the greens it was like this bugger all you can do with the land afterwards it's like mm. Church Stretton's kind of like that it's yeah. a great golf course but once you've rooted it and dug out the greens and you've got those flat parts to play to that's actually not a fat lot you can do the first to undo all of that kind of so it becomes a time capsule you know yeah. well the first hole at Painswick is it's probably a ski one of those, it's probably those yeah. bonkers holes you'd ever play in golf it's, yeah it's like a 220 yard par 4 and you go oh this is easy but you can't get anywhere near it because no. it's a and if the fairway burns off in the summer like <laughs> yeah. I know some old boys it's coming back the ball you. just keep coming back down you to the road I walk, mean pay, walk up to the second and start pay, from there pay, yeah paint there's so many bonkers things well, I mean one of the great things is on the back nine the there's back to back holes there's a par 4 that's uh maybe t 200 and 210 yards and then it's followed by a par three that's 250 yeah because one's up a hill the other's straight down it and you look at the car and they go oh they printed this wrong this this isn't right it's uh, legit but that's one of the the many crazy things but that sort of victorian era of golf can be exceptional fun as long as there's not just loads of cross hazards of which there's not really anything left in terms of courses with those sort of full rudimentary cops bunkers I used to have. Mm. Um, but the basic principle was of sort of heroic challenge. Mm. 
And if you look at... Uh, forcing them to carry. Yeah, forcing for, them to execute. Carriers. That was the examination. And, and, and quite often there would be a safer route, but it was generally an examine, uh, examination of somebody's uh, metal. And, I mean, you look at the original routing of Royal St. George's, of which it's, it's broadly, it's broadly not much the, sa- the same as it is today. They would have... Uh, Two two flags on the top of the sand dunes. Mm. Uh, there would be a safe route and a and a sort of tiger route, and you could take your pick. But the idea was it would be a, be a challenge, and there was blindness. And yeah. then gradually, as people got a bit more aware of the skill, um, they they wanted to take the chance out of it, and they mm. flattened. So Burnham and Barrow is a really good example, which there was a huge amount of. If you look at an aerial photo of Burnham and Barrow. The original routing was in the sand dunes way more than the, cur- the current Using routing. Using more of the stuff around the channel course? No, in the middle of the course, Just which is kind of, of where the, around be- the beginning and the end of the course is in the dunes. And then you kind of go out around the really sexy lands yeah. because Colt, my understanding was Colt was pretty much brought in until to eliminate a load of the blindness because people didn't like it. Um, I don't think that's like a solo thing. Like you look at... You know, Little Aston, another wonderful golf club in the Midlands. Varden Routing, which was pretty pretty much, you know, it was pure Victorian. Yeah, that was a Varden Routing. But, 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 but that's where Colt came in, was to take out some of the Victorian penal-esque. And you can kind of see it in the routing in so much as it's it's actually an out and back. It's not a 2T start, which was more of a golden age thing, correct? Or is that, well, is that oversimplifying I, I think, it? I think Little Aston, as an example, was pretty much the routing that Varden did, and it was bunkered by Colt. Um, yeah, well, the, I think he took out some of the cross-hazarding and some of the extreme stuff that was there. Yeah, and you can still see the remnants of it. I mean, we've got some great old... So Varden originally did nine holes at Copteeth. It's not... We, we basically blew the whole thing up when Colt came in, but you can still see the remnants of the original hazards. Um, there's quite a few holes. Some have got trees growing in them now, but they basically just let them grass over, and it's mm. really quite cool doing that sort of time team mm. ar- architectural... Uh, uh, archaeology it's quite interesting so all this info that you've just like reeled off for the last 20 minutes has has that all come from study has that come from just friends and networks you've built has it come from actually just studying black and white aerials because I mean if we made a documentary about you it's like you know when you see those documentaries on channel 4 and it's like the guy that dresses up as a dog and eats his dinner out of the bowl on the floor and you go that guy's really weird that's on channel that's five isn't it <laughs> late, late <laughs> but that's kind of like where you've ended up now you've probably got the largest collection of black and white course <laughs> photography on yeah. the planet you've got an almost inside it, it's quite a weird end state and i would so also is that, say is it just started with that and the research or have you just accumulated it where's all this knowledge come from um, so I've got a big book collection, which I've kind of added to over the years. But I mean, most of it is I started capturing. Um, I think it probably started from me wanting to make change at my home club. Right. And I saw it as a I, I had a job to do to educate people um, at, back in the days when I, when I was a bit more motivated to try and. Uh, uh, and use committees to uh, to make change, which I've kind of got over, having failed miserably several times. Um, but yeah, a lot of it was I found things interested and in, and 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 thought others would, and it would help educate decisions being made at the club. Um, and then I just started to save things in a Google Drive, and now I've got this massive archive of things that 
I've, I've collected over probably 15 years, I guess. Yeah. I mean, what's amazing about about you and your collection? I mean, roughly, do you have an idea of how many images you have, roughly? No, no idea. I don't know. Thousands. Yeah, thousands. Most of them are bunkers, am I right? Black and white, rugged bunkers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Specifically. But, but, but what I'm absolutely astounded at um, is what must be the precision in the way that you've archived it. Because I know I can come to you and say, yeah. Haynes, I need a picture of the fifth bunker from somewhere between 1950 and 1970 on uh, Blackwell. And you'd be like, Do you remember the Rye film? Is. I was like, oh, have you got the soup bunker? And you were like, yeah, here's 20 of the soup bunker. Soup bowl so bunker, you, the way you are, The way you've put that together must be very easily accessible because you do it quickly. Yeah. Um, and it's not, I mean, it's not really complicated. I just capture images... And whether I'm taking a photo of them from a book I've got or I, I get them off a digital archive, newspaper archive, or I just stumble over them on the web or postcards. I started collecting postcards for a while and then in the end I just try and s just borrow the pictures off eBay. Yeah. Um, Do you have any of those cigarette um, things? No. Because that's a rabbit hole I didn't want to allow myself to go down. Really? <laughs> yeah. Because there's loads of them. You'd be able to complete cards. to finish you'd start it and then you'd be sort of like trawling yeah. eBay every night. And for selling the, the house to find For the sort of myopia mm. hunk club matchbook or whatever yeah. you need. Yeah. So, no, but they're, they're, yeah, there's lots of those cool uh, little hole sketches. In fact, I was looking at one for Woking um, the other day for the fourth hole at Woking. They had one with the jovial golfer and they had the tiger and the rabbit. Mm with two different lines. That's the, the way they used to refer to the better golfers and the sort of higher handicap man. But, um, do yeah. you ever, do you ever, so you've got this, I mean, like what's quite cool. If you don't follow Simon Haynes on Twitter, go, go and follow Simon Haynes on Twitter. Uh, Hainesy 76. Yeah. Yeah. And what happens invariably, age away someone right says something yeah. like, Oh, I need this. Then someone will tag you in it. And that picture will arrive within minutes. Um, it's like Bamba cat, right? Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean... Do you speak to him a bit? Yeah. Um, and, I mean, his book collection is significantly better than mine, um, which I think is probably the source of most of his um, material. But, yeah, he's got an amazing collection of club histories, a lot of which in the, in the States we can't really get it easily over mm. here without spending an absolute fortune. But, um, yeah, so there's a few people around the world doing this sort of thing and... Uh, it's becoming increasingly valuable to architects that are in the restoration mm. uh, renovation game. Um, so, yeah, over the years I've helped lo loads of people on loads of different courses. Not through any sort of financial gain, but just because I'm... Just because you absolutely love it. <laughs> yeah, I'm just really passionate about um, making sure people do the right thing with historically important courses in the same way that we have sort of protection around we're really good in this country at protecting historic buildings and and mm. sites i'd love to see something similar in place for uh yeah like a protection order around certain things like not everything but like yeah no but like there is certain you know there there's an argument say you could take you know some of the stuff at rye or at brancaster or whatever and it's like that stuff should be wrapped up like that should be protected because it's like you shouldn't touch that it's like it's it's so significant to the you know, the stuff at North Berwick, whatever these things yeah. are, like I think. Um, and the, I mean, the other thing I'll say about the photographs is, 
I think we talked about this on another pod, Tom, when you was like, you know, like a little bit of information is a really dangerous thing, which, yeah, which particularly is in our myself, line of work, which is where we get ourselves in trouble. trouble all the time. But like, um, there is, right? Like you can, you can go off and sit in front of a committee meeting and anyone could construe a different style of bunkering and attribute it to cult and say, well, this is yeah. absolutely what we need to do. And it's like, well, well actually, here's some hard empirical data. Well, you can around. see, you can see yeah. how these things happen as well. So... Um, I mean, much as the newspaper archives are, are great, and a lot of it's digitized now, um, the reporting accuracy at the time was pretty ropey. So, was it? Yeah, you'd often see mislabeled photographs, uh, and it was the same news story that would go out through various different publications, and it wasn't always accurate. Um, and then the majority of historic golf clubs seems like they've suffered at least one clubhouse fire. Yeah. yeah Do you reckon yeah. there was at an arsonist point? at play? Just going round like, to make... To make uh, I don't find the same with like... It's the post-golden age architects are just going around and burning it. Seriously, <laughs> like every yeah. club burned down. Yeah, it certainly uh, it's caused... Um, is like, one of the oldest in England. I mean, it's really like the old great club, isn't it? 1886 or something? You know, it's like, yeah. Uh, it's really a pod in itself. The the club the houses that are burned down. Yeah, yeah. Like a, a ranking. Of top, uh, there's top, so many. There's top so many ten of fires. Them. I mean, famously, yeah, St George's Hill. That wonderful yeah. clubhouse now originally had a thatch, thatch roof. Was never roof. a good move. It's, really. not, it's not a good move <laughs> when everybody's smoking in every room in the clubhouse. <laughs> but um, no. But so you, you go into the club archives, and quite often these clubs now have not got anything. Yeah. So they would have been completely lost. Or, I mean, I've spent dozens of hours at my home club going through cupboards and attic space trying to find assuming there is this massive cache somewhere of old photos and there's literally nothing at all so i, d I don't know yeah. where it's gone but you can see how history can rewrite itself yeah. quite easily it, interestingly we we spent a bit of time down at um, st george's hill um and it, it it probably is something that we're hopefully looking to do in a future podcast is do something about about st george's hill but we um we met up with Jasper Miners, who's uh, been appointed as one of the sort of consulting I think they've been wor team. working there this week. Uh, yeah. They've been working there. It's like a and collab Jasper, thing, isn't it, with Jasper Renee literally was covered in cobwebs. He came down with like, all this yeah. stuff. He's like, yeah, I've been in the attic. I've just been on He'd found all these minute books. He like, smelled like your nan's wardrobe, you know, yes, that sort yeah. of like, that smell but of something that's been there for like a hundred years. In the attic and all sorts of stuff. And Yeah. I mean, it's amazing what's up in these... And what he was saying as well about, like, because St. George's Hill as a course is one that really does jump off and it hits you in the mouth hard. Like, it's really bold, provocative stuff. And he was like, well, actually, you know, we think there's good evidence here that St. George's Hill was the course that he took to Pine Valley when he worked with Crump well, a little bit. And said, the same, it was the same time. Yeah, and he was like, this yeah. is... This is the sort of stuff. Like, this is what this is a sort of blueprint of what I think we should be building. Yeah, but I think um, what's in, also interesting going through the the Cop Teeth Club uh, archives, the, the the committee minute books are pretty much all we've got left, and you get a real sense if you look at um, the description of workmen on site and uh, the bills being paid out to the construction crew. It made you realise that actually, although Colt was there relatively frequently it's not like the design build guys that we have today he was entrusting a lot of his work on the ground to be done by in the case of cop teeth and a lot of his other sort of big big designs it was by the franks harris mm. brothers company morrison and, big construction guy um well not no really, yeah i mean he, he was he, he like sort of architect in his he own was right an architect point? yeah a sort of uh, well-to-do good golfer um but 
the the man on the ground on so many of the projects who was deciding where the bunkers, the final position of the bunkers, the final shaping of the bunkers mm. was uh, was Claude Harris, um, who was a construction guy, he's an engineer really, a bit like Seth Rayner to C.B. McDonald's uh, sort of the, that that relationship in the states. Um, but you don't read about him. No. I mean, and, and that's where, if you look at... It Tom gets oversimplified as, it's a cult. It's a cult. Which is strange. Like, yeah, well, no, so you would look at it and go, well, that was... But this is Harris bunkering, and I know that's not been touched, because that was strange. what yeah. he built. Cult is the one, you know, you, you hear so much. As, a, as You know, I'd still consider myself a layman in all things architecture, but you still hear about cult bunkering. Because you are. Like, the yeah. cult bunkering is, 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 is revered. There's loads of different styles of cult bunkering throughout, and, and it changed multiple times throughout his, I don't know, 30-odd 30, 30 years building courses. But a lot of it would have definitely been to do with the, the guys on the ground. Mm. Um, and, I mean... Can you spot that stuff? Have you got an eye yeah, for you where can, you, you can, can be like... You can, definitely see, you can definitely see where something's been built well. Um... And you can you can tell that something's been changed, so um, yeah, it's 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 pretty obvious. And especially you can tell when Frank's Harris have have been involved because it's generally really good. Right. Um, what would be an example standout bunker of cults? Um, Putting you on the spot, give you a couple of your all-time great bunkers, so that if someone's out playing that course, they could be like. I see what he means there. So, uh, yeah, I'll be parochial for a second and, and talk about uh, Cop Teeth. We've got a 14th bunker. It's a short par four mm -hmm. with a huge fronting bunker. Um, and the, I mean, it's, it's, it's built Play up. to the raised green. Yeah, yeah the green's great been raised mm -hmm. up from the sort of lay of the land. Uh, bunkers cut into banks. The bunkers are layered. Uh, originally, there would have been sort of half a dozen bunkers short of the green yeah. as well going off the tee all the way up to the green so it would have looked like a sea of sand which is something you really get at Pine Valley as well with the hazards mm. layer and you can't yeah. really get a sense of distance or anything to aim at um, but yeah that's a it's a really good it's a big bold bunker and Copteeth is a pretty flat piece of land there's not much uh, is it 11 as well as another huge cross thing, bunkering yeah. 11 there isn't it and, and generally what you would see is if there was a change in the terrain Colt would cut a bunker into the bank and mm. you'd quite often hear him well he would describe it on his plans as tear tear bunker from uh, from from because he's basically pulling the earth away literally just scraping the earth yeah um, so he wasn't having to build up um because the other thing... Whereas is McKenzie sort of shaped them up, like you go and play all woodland, it's almost like the faces are lifted up in the air. It's almost like there's been earth moved around the bunker to create the face. Yeah. And rather was, than pulling it off the turf. He, he was generally quite a bit more uh, in, intricate with some of his shapes as well. Yeah. But, and that's the thing I always find interesting when you go to these old golden age courses, you can always, you can always see how they built because mm. it's there in front of you. There would be a borrow pit not far from the green because they weren't able to transport earth around and then if you see something built up it's like well where That's have they got the earth from mm. so, so yeah, you, you look out you'll generally find a depression in the natural landscape yeah. somewhere where it's like yeah they borrowed a bit of earth because they need to build up something you know? yeah so and they're quite often obviously they were the bunkers so mm. um but yeah if you look at a big push-up green that's above the grade they would have borrowed it from somewhere nearby so just a real geeky activity for you to No, this is great. Go no, but that's like go look really good. Pits. But another example of that, I mean, one that, that, that screams out to me when you talk about the, the bunker, and you're going to tell me it's not an original hole now, and I'm going to be really direct, is the fourth at St. George's Hill. And yeah. I'm talking about that a lot. But one of those, again, short par fours 
that similarly to, to the cop teeth one you just described is like for all the all the world should be a fairly straightforward golf hole yeah but just invites you to make a twat of yourself yeah yeah it's tempting enough isn't yeah. it beautiful v-shaped green and yeah it's that just that difficult distance that and the green's sort of so half intricate par. you know it's got that the wavy nature to the green yeah and um, and that's how a good short par four should be you kind of work your way back from the green to the tee and you you, you always want a challenging green uh so you need to think about where your tee shot goes here's an, here's a i mean first of all we're 30 odd 33 minutes into yeah the we haven't podcast. got to the bottom of the pod, but that's fine because this is going to be here. a big pod and there's going to be a lot of really here. good stuff there but just, just got to tease it out um are there any cult courses that have been truly bastardized? Yeah, I mean, I want to know which is, like, there's got to be some sort of crimes against humanity here. Like, there's got to be, a, like, a rank in your head of, like, that is, that, that, that's almost like Hague war crimes territory here. What they did to X, Y, and Z. Without being too disparaging, of course, which I know you wouldn't be. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's loads. Unfortunately, there's loads. Is there? Yeah. Um, is it rarer to find one that's just, like, untouched yeah ge generally clubs that don't have any money and have historically never had any money have never had the temptation to spend it yeah and and tinker it's almost like the addington moira fabes was the best thing that ever happened to the addington yeah because she's just never bothered to do anything just with it neglect has yeah. been the neglect best. is the best thing for it, it yeah as jasper said in the pod the very early days with mm. us it's right where it needs to be to be world class again yeah, yeah. A, a really good example of a Mackenzie course in a similar boat is Cavendish, the Cavendish. Yeah, up in, yeah, yeah. Up I'm in yet Buxton, to play that. Meant to which be is so good. It's an incredible place. Um, so it was a fairly late on Mackenzie design before he went off on his travels. And they've, uh, my understanding is they've never had a load of, uh, of spare cash around to make a load of changes. Mm. Thankfully, it hasn't got too much uh, damaging sort of tree growth on it. Um, it's now got a, a knowledgeable membership that is aware of their history mm. and uh, as a consequence they've got this wonderful time capsule of a Mackenzie design pretty much all original greens and it's it's a wonderful place I'd highly recommend I mean, would going it, would it be fair to say Wentworth would fit into the category of what Tom's describing the west yeah. the west would be but the, would that, that would be, a, that'd be a, a stretch away from what Colt left you think 100 years ago well see that's a difficult one because that was Colt and Morrison and it, it was they were basically given uh, a bit of a brief to design a Burley Championship course. Right. So it's always been that. So it's always been a big. It's always been a big brief. Yeah. The East was the sort of the and not the ladies' course. It was always a shorter no, course. Like, and and because yeah. St George's Hill had a shorter second course. You know, it's now yeah. the Green Nine. But I mean, the East is a wonderful course. It's ripe for everyone a, says they love the East. It's ripe for a, a really thoughtful restoration which uh, i fear they'll probably struggle to get but really interesting at wentworth is this and this is there's a few things that i would love to find out more about that i've never through all my digging never been able to find but the wentworth uh, had a third course what really? and I, and given how much was written about Wentworth back in the day, I, I haven't been able to find anything other than a photo of the 18th green, which was shaped like the British Isles. Really? So What, in water or in sand? No, so the surrounding coastline would be bunker. So you could have a pin position <laughs> in <laughs> Devon. 
Pin position Cornwall would be Tucks. really yeah, hard. Really tucks. But yeah, get, in, get into the Midlands where it's soft and heavy ground yeah, that's as well. A, that's a middle of, that's middle a, of the green. It's a real sort of Thursday you could pin. Though, tuck yeah. one away in North Wales. Um, yeah, but it, uh, in, in this photo, and uh, it obviously doesn't work talking about it as well as showing you the photo but you've got it i'd love to share that yeah. on we'll put some show put notes together yeah, yeah. also on our website with this pod we'll put a few show notes together with some of the stuff because you're going to talk us through some but photos this is the most well. incredible uh looking green and there's obviously a course that went with it and yeah i can't find anything about it well, so isn't that strange yeah I, and i've got the wentworth club history there's no mention of it at all now there is a third course there now with the edinburgh but um, yeah, that, that I would assume would use some of the land that would have had that original course on. But yeah, anyone who's and listening. Nothing, nothing from the old RF, nothing. No, nothing that I've been it. able to find. So I don't know. I, I suspect it was like a lot of these projects were built just before the Second World War. Then they were put to plough or, or just left and never, never reinstated. Wow. Because um, there's, a, there's a cult course uh not far from here that was built was one of Colt's last designs actually at Chadwick Manor okay um, which is just outside of the village I live in and um, that was built in 36 to 38 open for a year then the war started mm. and it went bump it was attached to a luxury hotel and um, and never reinstated but the course is still there so I've got the plans I, I can I drove up the driveway to this wow. the, the old country house hotel is now a, a re- residential uh, block of apartments but the house is still I mean still a lovely old house and you go up the driveway to it and you can actually see it's the 12th hole according to the plan I've got you can see it you can see the green pad um so That's yeah amazing. I do I do have dreams of we're gonna we're gonna get on to the historical faux pas soon I'm sure but What's the best? What's the what's the one course that you're never going to be able to play? And I don't want you to start reeling off courses that are to get on. By, by that I mean the courses that no longer exist or exist in the form that you wanted to play them. Um, I, I've been increasingly falling in love with the Addington over the last the new the new. Few. So um, so the course that we play today is the old mm. but the one that uh that doesn't exist anymore is under a housing estate was the uh, the new course at the addington which is abercrombie's second course and the photos i see of that are just spectacular and the writings of the day described it as it's equal if not better than the yeah. old course um where was the new in in situation to where the old is now over the road isn't over it? the road from where the clubhouse is yeah okay. so the clubhouse was originally down planned the hill to, yeah so the clubhouse was originally planned to be up on the top where ryan's looking at relocating it now and then i think that clubhouse the current clubhouse position would have been sort of in between okay the two courses um, and it's now residential is it or? yeah so there's some good RAF aerials where you can see in just after the second world war these uh, uh, basically prefab houses built on residential streets down the fairway corridors really so you can literally see <laughs> the, the, the back gardens would have been fairway um, but yeah that's so a that sad, one would be lot. up there I think that yeah that would be up there there's not um, there's not many Great. Is Lido stuff's a bit over, bit overdone, or do you think that would be? I think, think that's a real lost gem to the world of course yeah, architecture. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it was as much as anything uh, an incredible feat of engineering back in back in the day because it was built from basically uh, re- reclaimed land, yeah. just 
by lowlands isn't it almost sort of pumping yeah sand so the court the construction photos of Lido are amazing what, they, what do you mean so they were literally like firing sand in to create a sort of a draining dredging like Dr- a dredging and pumping sand to build the land up above the sort of swampy marsh so yeah it was all there was nothing there so everything was built up which um which is probably one of the reasons they've been able to recreate it pretty well because it was generally pretty flat terrain it's not like you're trying to recreate augusta Mm. well we're in good story mode i feel like we've sort of broken some of the some of the journey in here now we should introduce the which is the main reason like we thought about doing a pod with you on victorian architecture as well but that never happened then it was like we've got it we we speak so often but we pod never it was like what we get what's the topic and it felt like the right topic would be historical faux pas. Well, why? I feel, I feel like, yeah, I should probably bow into <laughs> this one. So, um, This is all quite exciting when the Netherlands series was starting to yeah, be released. So, so f- we could the, glam the, this up as being like an intelligent decision, seeing who could spot it. But yeah, the reality but it's is... It's serendipity. It's fine, yeah. Australia. So um, for those listeners of the podcast that haven't been over to watch our films from the Netherlands... We made what are you doing? We made it. <laughs> what the bloody hell have you I mean, doing? we get about 1p, 1p a download, so just, just go and click refresh as much as you can, please. Um, we made a series in the Netherlands based on um, Colt's trip to the Netherlands and uh, his trip around many different... Colt and Allison's trip around the Netherlands and the many places he visited um, and the wonderful courses that he left behind. We did that trip back in October last year uh, with the intention of making a film series, which we did. And we did five courses worth of filming. It basically took up most of my 2022 and early 2023. I designed and, and, and edited what I thought were a masterpiece in videography to then release the first one, hoping, you know... It was all quite exciting, wasn't it? It was, it was like, Netherlands yeah. series is starting, you know, rub you your hands together, you know, got wife in, you know, yeah, I mean, got the thing son is, Charlie along, put it on the TV, let's watch this. Quite happy with our work, thought, you know... Any creative... Put Eindhoven any, on the map, episode anyone one. Anyone who works in... I, I re- recently listened to a podcast uh, with Seth Rogen, actually, and he was talking about when he releases a film, he says, when he, when he releases a film that he's involved in, he said the first three days like is the most anxiety he ever has because uh, every time you release something you're just up for up to get shot down yeah. and i have the same thing so we, we released this film and i was like you know i'm really pleased with this <laughs> i really like this film it's really good sam had done some really good investigative journalism and found out about the phillips family and the the the, the links they had with eindhoven Chigolf. case collart who hosted us did a wonderful explanation it was all fabulous, mm. and it released on the premiere, went out <laughs> on day one, to which uh, I then received a WhatsApp from Simon Haynes. said, <laughs> loved the film, Tom, absolutely loved it. When you put um, the picture of Harry Colt up, any reason it was a picture of Harry Varden? <laughs> and I yeah. said, you are absolutely fucking kidding the old, me. But the worst, it gets you, worse, because you were abroad on <coughs> holiday, and I just, I got the same text from, from you as well, which is the first. And to be fair, I think only until recently, there was only three people oh, yeah, yeah. in the world that spotted yeah. it. I but wouldn't worry too much Like about. the fourth had come in fairly recently. And this, this opened this WhatsApp from you and it was an image of Varden just going... 
parry a colt question mark yeah and i was like oh shit so i'm thinking how am i going to edit these films because we've got to release the pan on tuesday and so on and yeah, so forth and you're away for like three weeks pre-made them yeah so, so um, they're all up and scheduled yeah so that image of colt which to be fair i think in your innocence you'd scrape from the internet on a quick google well, search i think i think we should well, now now gave, us, to, gave us this idea right we should hand over to him yeah so it's worth um for the listeners to 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 understand what the challenges of trying to get historical, uh, historically accurate photos. Just Google HS Colt and look at images. Because <laughs> there are a lot of pictures of people. <laughs> CB McDonald comes up a lot, doesn't he? Well, McCall. so there was a really good. So I went and played Blackmore. <laughs> I went and played Blackmore Golf Club, which is a lovely Colt design um, down in sort of North, North Hampshire uh, area, down the south of the UK. And they've got plastered all over their website in fact it's all over the club in all their marketing literature uh, Harry Colt Masterpiece and on their website under this section Harry Colt Masterpiece they had a picture of Charles Blair MacDonald <laughs> <laughs> which the thing is you shouldn't laugh because these things happen with innocence we're not laughing at the people who made the mistakes to know exactly because on Google that, that is somebody's put that on there at some point and then it's forever the truth. And yeah. In the Valley of the Blind, the one-eyed man is king, right? Yeah, and then black, uh, you people think, well, Blackmore must know what they're talking about. So <laughs> I, I felt compelled to send them an email and with a whole raft of cult photos because actually there's not that many photos of cult. No, um, there are Do you think few. you've got about 12, don't you? Yeah, yeah, pro- probably around that. I, and I, 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 There are many. There's I, not many. A so lot of them are out of pictures of everything. Yeah. So. And, and some of them he's very young. So like there's one way he's mega, mega young and it bears almost no resemblance to the he was a good to the wily man with the tash that yeah. you see now so, so you'd see him quite a lot of the time playing in amateur events uh, events um say pre pre his architecture days but there's not many of him as an architect um but yeah it's a very common mistake to make um i mean one of my favorite ones is a uh, uh i I are these your list? By the way, are I, we going... Because we asked I, you to sh- I, I prepare... Can go a few of them, no, 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 but, but this one you're talking about now, doesn't matter if it is or not. The one Finish off the one you're talking about, but are you burning your list? Because what we no. asked for you is a list of historical photos. <coughs> so the, Bla- the Blackmore one is the most recent one. Um, my, uh, my, my favourite one, and this is multifaceted, so there is, uh, there's a company that... Um, does portraits? <laughs> yeah, this is why I'm wrong, this. isn't it? <laughs> so yeah, they, so they do they do portraits <laughs> for the <laughs> uh, for golf clubs, and you can commission a portrait of uh, a famous member or uh, somebody in the club's history to hang above the mantle um, in the in, in the club bar, and they um, quite a few years ago posted uh, so good for uh, a commission for Betchworth Park, a cult course that uh, was celebrating their centenary and a prominent member had funded uh, this portrait um, of uh, Stafford Veer Hotchkin, <laughs> the founder and owner of and Woodall Spa. of Woodall Spa in West Sussex. And I remember thinking at the time, that's definitely not Harry Colt. <laughs> uh, I was sort of searching for Colt stuff. And it's like, that's not Harry Colt. That's definitely not Harry Colt. And then... <laughs> I was at Woodall Spa within a couple of months, and they, that very picture that they used to to do the portrait from 
actually hangs above the bar in Woodall Spa Golf Club. Haven't Wentworth got one as well? So, no, Wen- so, so this company that does these commissions, they've then uh, j- jokingly put on their website, uh, this was nothing to do with us. It was provided by the club, and we just in good faith painted it, thinking it was Harry Colt. Uh, so it's good to laugh about now. Um, however... We have done some Harry Colt commissions before, <laughs> and this one hangs in the clubhouse of Wentworth. <laughs> and it's Harry Varden. It's the picture I used, isn't it's it? It's the picture you used. It's, it, it's Harry Varden. So anyone visiting <laughs> Went, Wentworth Golf Club, uh, the, 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 the home of two, two of Colt's most famous courses, will see a picture of Harry Varden. <laughs> so you can see how... You can see the challenges that uh, you, you were facing by using Google to try and find historic it's facts. So but funny. Yeah. Uh, as, like, the thing I is, once it's there, like in oh, 30 no. years' time, someone will walk past and then that has now become an image of that person. We've added to that. Yeah. So if, no one, if someone only watches... If you so watch that Eindhoven comment, we should actually use this to drive some YouTube engagement. If, if every listener can go to the YouTube Eindhoven, Eindhoven film and just comment that that image is That's a Varda, not Colt. Yeah. But like, that will send the YouTube algorithm re- wild as well. That will do wonders like, for our subscriber going, rights. Going like off topic a little bit, how do you get to a state of knowledge where you can definitively say... Yeah, because yeah, you could be Harry in the minority Varden. now. Because you've never seen Harry Varden. No, but there's loads of pictures of Harry Varden. How do you know they're real? Uh, well, true. Um, but All, we, all, we, all we're, we're looking for is majority. Could we hypothesise that Colton Varden was the same person? Uh, there's potential in that. Yeah, it's like uh, when... Didn't you say that... Alice I think Mc- I said that to you, and you were like, didn't he fall out of love with his Victorian age design business? Yeah. And, and the... <laughs> And the advent of the technology and thought, well, I'm actually going to now re- reinvent myself as a strategic architect or something. Well, he was an architect uh, in, in his own right, uh, Varden, building lots of courses. But um, no, but it, I mean, it is a tough, it's a tough thing to do. Even historians tie themselves in knots. So another, um, anyone who's been to Musselburgh, um, yeah. the Musselburgh Old Course clubhouse um, has a they've got has, five images the head so yeah and the five five images of the five muscleborough based golfers have won right? the so open they've got the you've yeah, got so pump another film yeah. uh, wait a minute yeah, there's another yeah we've got to get so that, is it's an, not all about you is this another get historically inaccurate film well no it's not it's a I mean, video it's no, to be. there's a video clip is of the headstone oh hang on hang on so let me see if i can get this before we get it so there's a do you know the shot of the clubhouse there's the five heads i think they're bookended with the parks the first being um, Willie Park Junior, Willie Park Senior, and then there's Mungo Park. Willie Park David Senior Brown. being the first, and Mungo You've being the last. David Brown's David like Brown. number four. Yeah. He's the roofer. Um, junior, and I think I think Junior won two there, maybe. Bob Ferguson was the other. Uh, okay. However, the Mungo, still not bad. Mungo Park Senior. Well, what do you mean, Mungo Park? Oh, because there's so Mungo Park Junior. Well, so no, so the, park, the Park family is very big. Mm. So Mungo Park Senior won the 1874 Open. Can't remember where. Probably Musselboro Presswick, probably. Um, but uh, Mungo f- Park Senior. Sen- However, the image on that stone carving <laughs> above the clubhouse is actually Mungo Park Junior, his nephew. <laughs> <laughs> Is Is that true? It's true. He wasn't born in 1874. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Is that on your list? You just pulled that off the top of your head. No, that's on my list. That's on my list. I've got a a fact check. So, yeah. 
How do you know that's wrong? Uh, because I read it in a brilliant article in the British Golf Collectors magazine, Through the Green. Oh, they are good, aren't they? So it's not my research, but yeah, I mean, it's... Bloody is Mungo Park won in 1874. Which course? By two strokes, runner-up, Tom Morris Jr., Musselburgh. Yeah. Yeah. And that might have been t- young so the blow- Tom's last one before he died. So Mungo... Maybe. He died 1904, born 1836, but his nephew, Mungo Park Jr., wasn't even born in 1874, no. and he's the bust that they've based that stone yeah. carving on that you can see on the One of the most the famous sons in Musselburgh, and they got the wrong picture. So good. So yeah. that's in your list of how many so you that, got to take a yeah, slow. Yeah, that's in, that's in my list. So... Uh, another, <laughs> That's another, so good. another good one, uh, and again, keeping with the architecture link. So, there's lots of photos of Alison McKenzie. As you said, he was a good salesman and liked to be photographed. There's photos of him at lots of events. Uh, famously, actually, with the spring meeting coming up at Moortown, there's a photo of him chatting to Walter Hagen at Moortown uh, in, when the Ryder Cup was held there. Of course, um, that was the first time on British soil. Uh, first Ryder Cup on yes, British soil at Moortown. Yeah, it was. 1929? That was, that was anniversary was recently, wasn't it? Was it 29? Uh, Not I if it was know. 29, no. But no, no, but it was, they still have an anniversary. Yeah. But it, it, it happened like not that long, like a few weeks ago. That it would have been the date they played it. Oh, no, yeah, okay. sorry, the, 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 the yeah, yeah. time in the year, not, not the like year. It to be a big anniversary. Yeah, they didn't. Yeah, was Hagen wasn't there a couple of weeks ago. That's no, a massive faux pas. He's, yeah, he's certainly so, not. So there's quite, a, but there's, there's quite a well circulated image of Alice McKenzie sitting down. Um, we'll put this dr- in the show notes. Drinking a beer with a gentleman with round rim spectacles. <laughs> <laughs> And a moustache. <laughs> and that photo has been circulated as Alistair McKenzie and Donald Ross. <laughs> and it's not. It's just some poor, unsuspecting guy with own glasses being accused of... <laughs> the two... The two being the father of... Seminal American yeah. golf architects. Um, yeah. So there, there are so many of these <laughs> so examples. So, so it is a, it's a minefield. And... It really, it doesn't help when, as I say, you go through stuff and photos are mislabeled. Um. <laughs> so that, that image, because I know the one, they're all sat there. That People are obsessed. That's Mackenzie and Donald Ross. Yeah, it's not. Meeting of great minds, dividing the world up amongst themselves. No. You, take, you take the Carolinas, I'll go to the West yeah. Coast. That's and this was in, in California, and <laughs> the date it would have been, Donald Ross was... This was in California, but it was, it, it's, it's been proven, yeah, definitely it wasn't logistically possible to be Donald Ross. But, um, <laughs> superb, superb. Is there any mechanism, like, short of, like, just... Emailing everybody. Is there any mechanism to like correct any of these factual inaccuracies? Well, this is why Twitter's just full of screaming angry people because you've got a very small percentage of the world that is filled with people of knowledge and competence, and lots of people who have a very small amount of truth. So then you end up with these people who are keyboard warriors, and you could be—I don't think you are a keyboard warrior. You don't behave like that. I but it must be hard. Self, generally, but it must be hard yeah. not to be a keyboard warrior. Jokes aside, to not be like stop getting history wrong like no that's just some bloke with round rim specs that's not yeah. ross like please but like it's wearing glasses no, like, and I, there is a fine line and no one's like i hate it when people are just policing it on twitter because it's like it's a bit of a killjoy and it's like great but at the same rate the temptation must be huge yeah and i i generally hold back from 
stuff because it can get a bit septic on it on Twitter. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it is it is frustrating because it can send you off down some pretty sort of dead ends as well. So the, I I collect golf club histories amongst my book collection. I've got one for. Uh, Broadway Golf Club, which is again yeah. a, a Cotswolds Who, who golf designed course. that? Well, if you read uh, their club history, um, they they believe Alistair McKenzie. Right. Okay. Um, which I, th- I don't know. I played a bit of junior golf there. Stunning place <laughs> to play golf. So lovely golf course. Well, it, it, it sent me off down a, a, a pretty <laughs> deep research pit, and uh, and in the end, I ended up reaching out to the McKenzie chronology guys, who are like <laughs> a pretty impressive group of golf historians so i'm names at cop two spending <laughs> weeks on this now. yeah it's like did you know it's just a, just an itch that needed to be scratched yeah <laughs> mackenzie is being spotted at broadway and they're like yeah it's not physically possible he must have been <laughs> well he, he was he was having it, a holiday in california at you're that probably time, so. the most knowledgeable person on this topic that we've had on the podcast but how do you then? disprove that so how can you just well because they've got uh, the chronology timeline. and they I, know exactly where he was yeah. month by month yeah it's really impressive honestly for so they can go like pretty much well, when did he lay it out okay well yeah September 26 like no chance he was, got, in, he was in Melbourne they've got then. invoices they've got correspondence they've got uh, newspaper articles and they've pieced it all together for pretty That's much unbelievable yeah so the Mackenzie chronology is downloadable on the web it's an amazing resource. They they update it. I don't know what version they're on now, but it's updated all the time. But um, well, here's an interesting one. Again, probably probably shouldn't say it, but fuck it, we're there now, aren't we? Um, oh god. When we when we made the film about Cleve Hill, the original film about Cleve Hill, when it was closing, there was some information out there. We are by no means experts. Mm. We had heard it was an old Tom course, and we'd heard that it had had input from Alison McKenzie. Now. After we posted it, we had, I would say, a fair amount of people say one is not true and two is not true. Um, oh, the old Tom is for sure. But well, they, well there's, there's, there's a some Brown stuff in there. <laughs> See, I, now, I yeah. So, so the outcome was good because I don't know whether there's anything to do with us, but the outcome was that Cleveland was saved. Brilliant. Yeah. yeah would it make it? Would it make it any course. less right to talk about it? Did it help? Yes. But I don't know. I can't say. Did we use it in knowledge that it wasn't research, right? I don't know. Yeah. The research that well, we did. You made the film in two days straight from when we visited yeah, the, the club. The, the, I mean, it was like. The research yeah, that we did led to the did We didn't have a team of 50 researchers working around the clock on well, that to make sure that everything was substantiated. You're fairly well versed on Cotswolds golf. What, is so there, if, I, if I was a betting man, uh, it would have probably been most of the stuff that you see there now would have been David Brown yeah David Brown was involved yeah. though wasn't um, he because he was the club pro for a bit there well so he was a pro at um, Cotswold Hills I think um, in Cheltenham and I I believe there is a story about David Brown didn't um, he teach Victoria, to, Victoria play, yeah. to play golf as and well and then he died so penniless in the, in the 30s in the after the Great Depression which yeah. is a real shame really I actually played with um uh, Her, him and Marion Hollands, two tragic deaths in the game. Yeah, I, I ended up playing at um, Renaissance Golf Club um, quite That's a few a years ago. That's a cult as well, isn't it? It's, uh, yeah, it's Bar- Barry, yeah, it's a <laughs> Tom, Tom Doak designer next to North Berwick and, um, and, and Muirfield. And it was a joke, just I, for our listeners. <laughs> just yeah. before that sarcasm. <laughs> I know there's parts of the world where sarcasm doesn't translate that well. That was a joke. Just want to be super clear on that. Could, please continue, Simon. But, um, yeah, was, uh, my caddy, when, when I played it, uh, would have been the great, great, great grandson of David Brown. 
Really? So we were just, oh, just chewing the fat about golf and golf history. And he said, oh, I'm related to an Open champion. Uh, That's unbelievable. And, uh, and, I said, and he said, David Brown, you'd never have heard of him. So it's like, actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have heard of him. He's like, I don't believe it. Yeah, I've seen yeah. Zion Payne's really. Lived, yeah. lived, lived on 54, so-and-so street. Yeah, yeah. So yeah it's a pretty cool his, historic link. Cause Great got, roofer. Yeah. Great roofer. He so, was a good roofer, yeah. Yeah. Needed a, didn't have a coat or a, or a hat. Yeah, never washed his work that, clothes. Yeah, but you certainly can't say Cleef Hill was a collaboration between Mackenzie and no. old, old Tom. But or, was yeah, there old Tom and was there Mackenzie input at some point? Who yeah, knows? potentially. And, I mean, the other thing with Mackenzie is his brother ran the golf course construction company that built a lot of his courses over in this country. Um, Mackenzie's? So, yeah. Mm. So most of Mackenzie's courses were built by his brother, Charles McKenzie, so he was kind of doing the same thing that Franks Harris were for Colt, and he became an architect in his own right. So, um, Did it? F- uh, yeah. So uh, Fulford up in York, for example, is a quote unquote McKenzie course. It's a McKenzie. It's just the other McKenzie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, they can advertise it and just not use the initial. But, yeah, so Charles McKenzie, and he was building golf courses all over, so they could have had, in some dodgily kept club minutes, meeting yeah. minutes, the mention of McKenzie, and it could have been him. Mm. Or it could have been some other guy. It's so sketchy. I remember the early days, and we're not plugging our films all this pod, and we don't do this usually. I know you're an avid listener, Simon. Yeah. Um, and an avid corrector of the of the mistakes we make. But I think it's just but like, do you remember Formby Ladies when they were like, "Oh, it's really hard to prove, but we can see there was some invoice between the Formby Ladies Club and Colt, but mm. we can't actually really prove exactly what was happened, well, other than the a, fact that there was X shillings exchanged yeah. for some level of dialogue, but there wasn't a huge amount more than that." Yeah, and then you're like, "Well, then you're in that murky grey territory." That let's be honest. Most golf club minutes are probably especially in. When, if, it's, if it's burned down. Yeah, but also yeah. usually the the, the the safest sort of lines to follow are invoices because the financial records tend to be the ones that linger the longest. I don't know why. Yeah, uh, but but also the impact of some of these visits, if it was literally a visit, so when Colts uh, basically signed off or Woodley, um, he was just brought in. How much truth is there around that? Do you think that's pretty well... Yeah, that that's fair? well documented. I mean, McKenzie, McKenzie design, Colt came up, checked his work. McKenzie talks about it in the spirit of St. Andrews. Mm. Um... So it's, it's clearly documented. So basically it was McKenzie's design and he was having an argument with the committee about who was, uh, wh- whether his design was fit for purpose. They got Colt to come in just to rubber stamp it and Colt said, yeah, it's all good. Let him crack but on. when you hear about Or Woodley being a McKenzie and Colt, it's not Colt at all. He <laughs> no, just no, said, Colt just said, just it's said fine. yes, it's yeah, fine. Yeah, You're yeah. not going to waste your money with this, yeah. with this guy. And... But again, you, you you don't have to look far to see or, or Woodley have a Colt mention against it. Mm. Um, and again, I mean, even Colt's involvement at Pine Valley. Yes, that's he, open to a lot of debate because so, some people say Allison, don't they? And they say well, no, Allison went back in the twenties. But the reality is, Pine Valley was built by numerous people. Yeah, it was every um, man and his dogger. So Pine, Crum- can yeah. we just cover the history of? Because there's a whole fascinating bit of dialogue that we've never really covered on this. One of the accidents that happens in a bar on a Sunday night in Britain. Um, no apologies necessary. No, no, it adds to the ambience. Yeah. Um, there's a. We've never really covered some of the chronology of events around the development of Pine Valley, mainly because I don't think we know them well enough. <laughs> I've got <laughs> no, never been. No, but there's a whole thing around 
crump and what happened there so yeah just run us through the evolution of that and why pine valley as a course and club is so storied yes yeah, so i think he got the land crump bought the land so he's a hotelier in philadelphia bought the land probably 1912 ish i think um and uh and sold everything he owned and and, and lived on the property did he cashed all his chips in first? Uh, as far as I'm aware, and he yeah. hadn't designed anything before. He's part no, of that Philadelphia he, school of friends. Yeah, so was he with Tillinghast and those guys? Yeah, so these guys would get the train from Philadelphia to play some winter golf in Atlantic City. I think it is yeah. um, out on the coast. And yeah, there's, there's T- Tillinghast and, and a, a, bu- a bunch of these other guys, very knowledgeable, well, sort of high high golf IQ guys, and uh, the the train track. Uh, went straight past um, Pine Valley and mm. bought, bought the land. Um, but then he died, well, c- committed suicide Killed himself, right? before, before it was finished. So I think there was maybe 14 holes. Was that money, was that money worries? Um, was no, it hard to read between what's uh, happened? I'm not, in, not entirely sure on the history. I'd have to refer to... But it was a problem he couldn't books. fix was the 18-hole routing. I couldn't get yeah, it. Yeah. He couldn't get it back or something. Or well, like so the, 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 the sort of famous piece of the jigsaw that Colt aided was the, the, the fifth, um, the famous long par three over the... Over the water. Over the pond. And, um, yeah, it's, it's one of the great long par threes, if not the greatest, although there'll be some debate with Ryan about the 13th Tree at the Addington. and stuff, yeah. Um, but... Yeah, and then after that, um, there's a whole bunch of people that helped finish it, and they brought Allison back in in the 20s, and in fact, I've been lucky enough to visit Pine Valley, and in one of the lodges there, they've got his, uh, Allison's report from the from the 20s about changes to, to be made that you can see. Did he just use it up a bit then? Um, yeah, and then it's, I mean, it has changed over the years as well, not least because there's now a load of trees which weren't really there if you look at the original photos um it looked much more like sunningdale looked again back in the day in fact you look at the old pictures of sunningdale and pine valley when it was pretty open expanse and they look incredibly similar really so you can see why um why why colt would have been feeling quite comfortable making recommendations on that on that land but i think that's a fairly common thing isn't it like we were looking at some of the images of eindhoven when we were down there and when eindhoven you look at it now, and certainly from some of the high aerials that we took, it's like it is a dense forest. Yeah. You know, and it was, there's nothing there. And it's weird that you think that, you know, these, some of these places kind of become, I don't know, like synonymous. Like they've been carved out of the woodland. Yeah. But just, that was never the way it was. I definitely think if you're an alien that landed in this on this planet and you took all your information from golf Twitter... What you would glean from that is that trees are pretty much like a 1960s post thing. There was like an epidemic of trees that happened to the earth because you don't see any record of trees on golf courses before the 50s. Yeah. Did they just level them well, all before construction and go, we're just going to clear all this yeah, out? Yeah, so, you, so a lot of the land that they play golf on Or did was, they not have them before? Well, it would have been common land or unenclosed land, even like, forget the lynx land, but the inland stuff as they moved mm. to the heaths. Um, but that would have been maintained, I'm sure, by grazing cattle. Yeah. So you would have kept tree growth down just naturally through the grazing animals. And as soon as they take the animals off, um, it pretty quickly loses control. And, and I've got some great old pictures of the 10th at Sunningdale Old, which is 
Beautiful the sort of the, f- the famous elevated tee with the halfway house down behind the green. And, yes, yeah, it's just wide open. There's hardly any trees anyway. And if you play it now, you'd think it's just been carved through a forest. Mm. Um, and there's lots of Sunningdale like that. There was open, expansive views across the common to Wentworth. You yeah. would have been able really? to see. You would have been able to see from Sunningdale across Good to you. Wentworth. Yeah. So the back end of Wentworth, sort of 9 and 10 on the west course, uh, you would have been able to see across the common, um, probably more from the Sunningdale New, I would guess. But, yeah. Um, yeah, because when you play new and you get around to about is it eight or something, you get out to that far the end where they had the the forest fire, and it's like mm. yeah, you're you're quite close. So now that forest fire was the forest fire that was burning in that Rose series event yeah, that's at right, Wentworth, yeah. if that's you right. remember, yeah. just behind the tenth tee in the West Course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, we found out recently. I know, this, this has gone kind of wildly off. We need to get back on the faux pas. Yeah, because they were elite. Um, <laughs> obviously, with Sunningdale, they are known for being. Uh, Willie Park Jr. and Harry Cole but Harry so that Willie Park Jr. being the old and Harry Cole being the new but I found out recently that Harry Cole did quite an extensive amount of work massive amount on, on the, the old, old. Yeah. 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 but again it's oversimplified isn't it it's a class example of you know you, the context is probably buried in the nuance of him being the secretary and he would have tinkered craft for, there and all sorts of stuff yeah he would have tinkered for quite a few years and if you see the original photos of the old um, when, when Park did it because he was at Hunter Coombe Hunter Coombe at the same time yeah there was there mm. were square greens at Sunnydale so the for, for those of you that know the the 12th hole at Sunningdale is a famous uphill par mm-hmm. 4 second shot plays Dog uphill left. into a benched green yeah. um, in, in the hill with a beautiful sort of diagonal of bunkers short, short of the green and the original green uh, on the park course was down low on the right hand side Colt moved it back 50 yards and put it up into the bank yeah. this transforms sort of the golf completely off. transforms it and then the 13th hole which is now you then walk to the top of the, yeah, the, the hill down. and it's a drop par 3 um, Park's routing had that played down by the greenkeeper sheds on the right and it was a blind short par four. You played over a mound to a square green. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's yeah. not even slightly different golf yeah, yeah. Different completely golf different. And but that's the thing, the devil's in the detail of all this stuff. Yeah, and it would have evolved over a period of time because obviously Colt was working there and, and honing his craft. But um, yeah, it, and it, it wasn't a collaboration. It was something that evolved over time. And, and I think that causes clubs that are keen to restore... Um, Real challenges. It's like, yeah. like, where do you want to restore it? What do you restore to? Yeah. yeah. I mean, do you, do you want to go back to, because a lot of it was changed because it wasn't that good. Um, and certainly the courses that have had architecture involvement over, over the years, it's a real challenge. Um, so, yeah. People who listen to our pods religiously will probably get bored of me saying this, but I always, I can never hold back from saying it, but like the butterfly effect's really big, right? So you've got Sunningdale, Willie Park Jr., you know, kind of, really really kind of you know we look at it now as you know the t- the two great inland courses in great britain or whatever but at the same time when he built the old at sunningdale willie Parr jr goes off and builds huntercombe and as i understand it essentially breaks himself in the process of trying to make that work it was his money and, and yeah. probably geography and and whatnot and so much of you know i mean huntercombe is still a great golf club if anyone who from huntercombe listens to this podcast will be like well hang on we're hardly we're hardly like it's not rags and riches you know like but how much of that is actually the the product of just the history and the geography and the way the wider world has evolved around london versus being that bit further out 
or what you know a second course being added by cold you know we'd probably talk you know could be in a talk about those two clubs in completely different lights today couldn't yeah. we really because well, Huntercombe's got some incredible stuff fourth green is it fifth green uh, there's, the, well there's yeah. loads of incredible greens and, and earth features as well yeah, amazing yeah and because and it's not all bomb created around Huntercombe people, people think it, that's all, all that bombs dropped ur- urban it? myth yeah it's not right they were dropping them after flying over London or I something I don't think there's, there might be a you think that's natural natural earthworks yeah well, like, well, like human earthworks that into the natural yeah. landscape yeah yeah I'm pretty sure it, it, it is yeah um, but you see this a lot so the the, the sort of law of uh, of London um, and when we look at golf course rankings in this country I mean it's definitely south biased mm. So, or Woodley, t- talking about where we're going in a couple of weeks uh, again. Um, if that was further south, it would be ranked much, much higher, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, although people do travel, people do travel, obviously now. Mm. But it's a big advantage being in that sort of Surrey, Berkshire, Sandbelt, and Greenfield um, as well. I mean, like you know, we we I always look at. Yeah, really good ranking if you want to find some interesting courses to play is find the best courses under £50 or under £100 because it shines a light on interesting architecture, different experiences where they're not all going to have a locker room attendant and, you know, know, massive menu and all that kind of great stuff. But then what they end up being is actually they become a just a ranking based on of obscurity to get to. Yeah. So it's like Silliton Solway. Well, yeah, it's cheaper because it's harder to get to. It's still a bloody good golf course. Yeah. Or Seton Crew. Yeah, it's also not the easiest place to get to. Yeah. It's, it's cheaper. You know, it's like it's not in the most affluent part of England, you know. So it's, there's all these different things that happen. There's just, there's other factors that I think people miss out. Yeah. And certainly with... The price of green fees in this country. Uh, do you see uh, David, UK golf guy, mm. published? Yeah, really good resource when he puts that up. Uh, it's brilliant, yeah. But it's also terrifying. So the top 100 golf courses, I don't know what the average price increase was. The top but 10 were all like north of 275. Yeah. I mean, it's you can't do a cheap golf trip. And that, that can't playing. be architecture then, because then that's got to be pricing in that's so many of the other factors. American golf, though, isn't it? Like, but the problem yeah. is, what we've, we've talked about this before, when we were in... We, we did a large part of our um, traveling early days in the pandemic when it reopened. And you, we were in Scotland a lot. I think probably one of the first series we did was up in Scotland. And, we and played. the Americans weren't able to come North, over. There was, was no travel. Yeah. And these places were like largely, not empty, but they were, they were, it wasn't like it is now. We returned maybe a year later when we were doing the old Tom series we did with Scotland where golf began and yeah um looked at those and we stayed in North Berwick remember we stayed in mm. North Berwick and it suddenly was like I didn't recognize it, it was like four ball after four ball with caddy after caddy and it was you just see like it just it's not a it's not a great it's it's like it's like wow this has changed the culture of this golf course yeah like, playing that you, two ball on a sunny summer's evening and flicking around with you and Bruce one, in three hours dad, and then it's like your dad played North well Berwick again like it's like it's like the retro yeah, came home it was, before it was cool yeah. I remember oh, yeah. in the early 90s I'd have been like seven he got home from a trip to Scotland and he played you know some of the great clubs in Scotland on a trip and he was excited and he said but Sam I played North Berwick West and let me tell you this this course was unbelievable we paid eight pounds and it was I mean uh, this was not in the 1960s like this is early 90s and he was like he'd have had no record on social media he'd have had no pictures no reference point other than a few people who probably 
probably said, you should go and play that. It's really bloody good. Yeah. And then had followed up and paid what would have been probably 10 quid at Muirfield and about four quid for North Berwick and but, been like blown away. But I think but now North Berwick's 275, 300 quid to play. Yeah, but also some of these, the, 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 the economies of these things actually drive you to go and find some more interesting stuff. Mm. Yeah. And I think we're very lucky in England because we've got such strength in depth. There is so much cool stuff. That is England the best country for diverse architecture in the UK? In, in the I, world mean, I, I, I haven't travelled widely enough to, to, to say it's the best in the world, but I, I mean, it, it's pretty damn good, isn't it? Yeah. If you well, I'd say, I mean, England's the only place that, like, if you talk about diverse architecture, Scotland is like the king of links. Obviously, it's got some of the most fabulous links golf courses on the planet. And, and England's got some fairly good links. But the golf. depth of... But then you've got the Heathland, the £20 courses, £300 courses, everything. As a, you're a Welshman as well, Simon. Yeah. And as, as, as a peer, as a brace of Welshmen, yeah. it's, it's quite upsetting that Wales really lacks the diversity and lacks the punch that perhaps the rest of the British are. Yeah, and there's a lot involved. of good coastline in Wales, isn't there? But they yeah. kind of... They, they struggled a bit building good nine-hole courses on the good land and then in the panic to go to 18, bought some farmer's fields and made <laughs> crap 18 holes, yeah. mm. which that's not unusual. Um, but yeah, the breadth of, uh, of really good quality golf. So I've just been at Beau Air today, which um, have, have you guys been to? I've never played. It's no. one of the very so, few in the Midlands. I mean, shout out to a certain follower of ours that is, is trying very, very hard to get us there. Who? Um, uh, a gentleman by the name, I'm sure he won't mind, Tom Price. Is desperate oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Them. So yeah. given um, that that, I mean, we're south side of Birmingham here, but that's only just the north side of of Birmingham, so it's mm. pretty local. Very it, close to Little Aston and yeah, yeah. that other and place that held the Ryder Cup once. Yeah, just past there. But, um, yeah, it doesn't take... It, we're within an hour and you haven't played it. Um, and it's unbelievable. It's yeah. it, it's the most fantastic bit of terrain. It's great to see playing it today that they've taken out loads of trees. Um, been redoing some bunkers. Um, but as... A set of, uh, of of greens that haven't really been changed, from what I can see. Um, Herbert Fowler design. The the greens are just incredible. Mm. And we started with the greens and worked his way back, didn't he? Just is yes. he one of the most underrated architects in Fowler? Um, oh yeah, I go on then. Who's your favourite? I Who's wouldn't your most say under, he's yeah. probably. I, I wouldn't say he's underrated. I mean he. He did stuff in America. He designed the 18th hole at Pebble Beach that they play. That was a shorter Is hole. Is that right? Made it a, a par five. Um, Is that right? I did not know that. I didn't know that. That's, yeah. That you'd expect that to be so... Given the fact we see Pebble Beach so much, like, that's a, that's a real nugget. That'll be on Sky next year, because I know there's a few pundits that listen to this that their ears have pricked up if they've lasted an hour I'd be surprised if they haven't talked about it, because, it, I mean, it's quite well... I've never heard that they've said, yeah, Herbert Fowler, obviously. Yeah, the 18th Watt hole Leith was... Berkshire, he, he built the 18th here. It's like, that's obscure. So, yeah, I think uh, Fowler is is pretty well-spoken of, well-regarded. I wouldn't call him underrated. Um, I mean, Abercrombie... Um, mm. If you look at the stuff he's done at the Addington, mm. which it turns out was was done alongside Colt. What about yeah. I think Coom Hill as Ar- well. Arthur Croom, yeah, he, d- he like, did. Like I know nothing about Croom, so he didn't really. And do yeah, it he had that firm deal. with Abercrombie, Fowler, and Simpson. Yeah, so did he just like come along for the ride and do well, sweet? I think he did. He did Liphook, and that was about it. I think. Right. Um, and then obviously Simpson would have done a bit with. Because he was living there, um, but 
no underrated i mean they're probably the one that strantz uh, Mike Strantz is, yeah, I played two of his courses, Caledonia in Myrtle Beach and, and Tobacco Road, and they're just, they're majestic places. Um, yeah, really, and again, a bit like who I think is probably the most underrated, uh, Tom Simpson. He was a fantastic artist. Um, but yeah, if I was to pick somebody who isn't spoken about enough, it's Tom Simpson. I'd just... Yeah. I think, um, think we should... Tom Simpson yeah. is like the connoisseur. Bit. Like, uh, we are so biased. Uh, there is a conflict of interest here because Blackwell yeah. is a, a father of Simpson, but mostly Simpson is... is didn't Mackenzie design the 13th at Blackwell? I think it was Bobby Jones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We could come um, back on to that, but yeah. no. So obviously Simpson Fowler, would you look at Blackwell and say that's actually much more Simpson? It feels more Simpson, yeah. Um and you can see when you say that bring that to life because I have no idea what that means um, so the intricacies of the greens artistic uh, flair with bunkering the bunkering the certainly I mean we're skewed a bit by the sketches that you left behind um, right hand bunkers are a Simpson thing um, well I think just general didn't ace, like the slicer, did he? So a, a, asymmetrical bunkers were pretty consistent with most of those good architects but it feels more Simpson in my opinion I'd be interested to see I mean Fowler uh, although there is one photo of a bunker not that I've got a photographic memory of bunkers in black and white or anything but <laughs> there is a photo of one bunker on the red course at the Berkshire yeah. which is nothing like anything else I've seen fun uh, Fowler design which is a ri like a ridiculously intricately lace edged bunker which Simpsons obviously thought, that just wouldn't be and it's, yeah go well I look at it and think was Simpson visiting the site that day but Simpson never shit. contributed on that did he really I, no I didn't I don't think was it was documented it was supposed to be pure Fowler yeah but um, but then you uh, but then you go and wonder how much of it was the guys building it on the ground that's what I was about to say so when you look at somewhere like Blackwell and you look at it and think this has got a more of a Simpson feel you know the lace edge bunkering that we've put in place we've worked really hard over the last seven eight years to bring a lot of that back um i say bring it back to put a lot of that in you know because that's what simpson bunkers were like are you looking at it because that's what it's like now and thinking yeah not no, no, I, so it kind of more it's not the bunker style so the slopes on the greens and how the surrounds feed into the sort of external parts of the of the greens so you love the greens at Blackwell, don't you? The greens like, are outstanding. They're uh, just Blackwell. natural green sites. Yeah, they're wonderful. And if you go and see New Zealand, uh, which is an outstandingly good golf course, New, New and Zeal it builds just gradually in profile. Like it's just an, it's a majestic golf course. <coughs> yeah, it is a lovely place. Um, but New, New Zealand, which is a similar, it's got a similar sort of vibe to Blackwell. Uh, in that it's a, it's 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 quite a, a an old school, lovely, quite. Uh, but the course is very walkable, taxing on the brain, you know. But the routing, at, thoughtful. the routing at New Zealand wasn't Simpson. That was Muir Ferguson um, who designed that. And then Simpson's just come in and done his stuff on the greens and, and bunkers, pretty much. Um, which Frank Pont is doing a, just a fantastic job restoring now with CDP. Um, but... You, you look at how the bunkers throw into spine the spines and the bunkers go into the greens so actually the size of the entire hazard is much bigger than just the bunker itself because you mm. if you if you're playing out of a bunker you're generally playing onto a spine that runs down into the greens and the bunkers are connected to the 
greens. I mean, you see, you see so many. It's like Rain Man. So many architects now, and they're posting stuff on Twitter. Modern, modern guys, where you've got greenside bunkers that are so disconnected from the green complex, mm. and there'd be a big area of rough in between. It just drives me mad. You're just wasting it, aren't you? The whole thing. Yeah, and you look at. But the Golden uh, Age greats were really good at tying everything in together, weren't they? Everything yeah. had a purpose, but everything contributed to make it greater than the sum of its yeah. parts. Because the constituent parts of New Zealand or Blackwell, like, you know, on paper, are not particularly great. They are modest in length. They're not necessarily the greatest land, not wild topography changes or anything like that, but they create something where collectively it really hums. Yeah. Baltray, I'd put 100% in that category when well, we're talking about Tom Simpson's stuff. Well, I've not, I've not played Baltray. It's just the most outrageously good, you know. And the, the, you know, so is it good enough to consider just blowing it up and... Well, I know that there's a huge amount of debate. I've not seen the plans. There's a bit. There's yeah. a few quirky things, like the two green thing on 17 is like a bit of an acquired taste for sure. But you know the the the, the holes and the way it's connected, it's just superb. Like I mean, there's you know pretty much I'd say from like you know two or three right through to like 15, 16, your jaws on the floor at Baltray. Yeah. Like, and, the, and the bunkerless holes are the best. Well, there's just not enough. The, the bunkerless holes are absolutely extraordinary. They're so natural looking, it's untrue. There's just not enough Tom Simpson around in this country. And it's a... I mean, there's a he, load he, of... He works a lot in Belgium, is that right? Yeah, Belgium yeah. and France. Yeah, and he a did a lot line. of private estate yeah, courses. Yeah, he arrived everyone a Rolls-Royce, which is back to Tom's point. And it's a like, beret. Who, who, like, you know... Yeah. I get the sense this guy wasn't rooting around in the weeds of bunkers. Like, is there loads of Simpson photos? Like, of him? Uh, there's so only one of him on a lathe, isn't there, under candlelight yeah. or no, whatever I've got a good one of him playing in a competition with Molly Gawley. So... Uh, Tom Simpson's assistant was the first female golf architect. Really? Molly Gawley, yeah. She's a very accomplished uh, lady golfer um, in the 30s. I've heard the name, but nothing. No, and, no more uh, Yeah, she worked, um, I think she worked with Tom Simpson at Ballybunion. No way. Um, yeah, so she was, uh, yeah, very, very, uh, very good golfer turned architect. So there's a good photo. And... Some of the private estate courses are, he built a putting course for, as a wedding present, I think, I think I'm right saying as a wedding present for Joyce Weatherhead. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah, he did. That is he built so a, a putting course. A putting course at her house, which is now a National Trust property called Night, Night Hayes, I think. <laughs> what? Yeah. Is it so, still there? Uh, the putting course isn't there, but I've could got we resurrect of it? it? Yeah, yeah, we could resurrect it. It's really, it's really cool. And there's also is it like Himalayas esque. Yeah, it? in the garden, and there's a putting course. Uh, just going down putting course rabbit hole for a second. There's a Little Aston's obviously a great one in Buxton in uh, no. in the park. Derbyshire. At, at, uh, yeah, in, in the in the park in the middle of Buxton, there was a putting course designed by Alison McKenzie. Still really? there. No, it's not still there, but the land is still there, apparently. Uh, so people that so we could go it. and do like a pilgrimage. Yeah. Was there. this like a like a common thing? Like it that? was a thing. Yeah, putting putting courses or, or sort of approach courses, as a, as they called them, like little short par three, yeah, yeah. like fifty yarders, was quite a big thing. Uh, seaside resorts would have them, 
And yeah, I mean, t- the Palace t- Hotel t- took a great show. Yeah, the Palace Hotel. Is that actually got provenance, or is that just something that no, was? So I think, is that something I, they I stuck don't think that was pins? designed by anyone. But famous like, I played anything, that when I was a real little kid. So and they I had remember the British, loving it. They had the British Par Three tournament there. It's a great for years, Par Three course, and, and now they've moved it to Nelcote Hall Hotel, which is I mm. used to work there as a kid actually. Um, but um, what did you do there? Worked behind the bar. <laughs> Wasn't an architect. Met my wife. She was working as a waitress. In a cocktail bar. Wow. And it was in the cocktail bar that I worked in. Yeah. 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 So, anyway. Can we um, can we try and steer us back on topic? Before we do, there are two things I want to cover off. And a quick answer to, is there a space? Because you're a panellist um, and course rater. I'm I don't, I don't think you, you're not anymore. Oh, you had, you I know you down. don't like doing it. You're always like, yeah, I never hate I never use it. I never say it because it's just like, it's crass. But, like, is there space in the rankings for a £35 green fee golf course in the GB&I 100. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah, but it, isn't the problem as soon as you're in the GB&I top 100, you just double it or triple it, and that's yeah. And I mean, Silith, what like the last bastion of like we are just amazing. Still golf. are cheap as chips, relatively it's speaking. Like, I, think but it's, it's, I think it's nearly three figures. It's irresistable. It their members' clubs. Now. Now. I don't know. Yeah. So I know um, one of the panelists. So Cl- Clyde. Um, Johnson Cunning Golf works for Renaissance. It will be former guest of the pod. Uh, of course, yeah. Mm. So he he and I were both panelists on. Well, it was Golf World, then went to National Club Golf um, panel. And I mean, he's the most well-travelled guy I know. Played like seven, eight hundred. Yeah, like courses. Like I posted a picture today of Almouth Village fifth hole, and it was like one of those course and hole things, and you you know it's absolutely bombed because no one knew it and no one commented yeah. and someone put in Almouth fourth and Clyde just put a comment below no it's the fifth yeah <laughs> Clyde so, had never like weigh in on the, on yeah, the subject he, he, he's, he's the most him, but incre- he, knew it, he knew it immediately incredibly knowledgeable guy but you, you saw when the two of us were both panellists there were clubs in there that probably wouldn't have gotten there before yeah. um because yeah, we both appreciate the same sort of thing, um, which isn't having your clubs taken off you when you go in the car Pyramids park and your shoes. Yeah, yeah no, no, I, I, doesn't do it for me. Doesn't do it for me. Um, do you, no. Do you think uh, Doke's confidential guide was like a seminal moment of turning from that position of like because he was going to places like. Cleve Hill, Pennard, places that weren't really on the map and being like, yeah, these are places you need to go I'd to. I'd say St. Andrew could change the fortunes of quite significantly. Do you think that was like a big turning point? Uh, probably, but the, the, I mean, there were so few people that actually read it. In, in yeah. the, I mean, I don't know how many original copies, copies he made. It, it was a few hundred, if that. So it was still a pretty niche. Yeah. Um, but that, that gave so it that, to the that, thought that, leaders that then... Yeah, all the supposed thought leaders yeah. that then... But uh, there's a lot of these things where you see these movements in... I mean, cra- craft beer is the classic, isn't it? Where you get these sort of slightly underground movements that then become a bit more mainstream and then you end up with a mainstream, slightly diluted version of what was there before. And mm. I think you're seeing a lot of that with the golf uh, golf course, certainly with the restoration movement yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and it becomes a bit of an echo particularly things like this podcast they become an echo it, chamber because yeah, what we're not interviewing is guests that would you know die on a hill to say yeah okay we're, we're giving the bell for an unfair 
hard time here, but we're not bringing on someone that really thinks the Belfry is the greatest golf course in Britain no, to, to have but, a right reply. And the whole world becomes an echo chamber, doesn't but, it? But equally, you, this restoration movement that we've got in the UK at the moment, um, it is becoming a bit, a bit the same. Yeah. So uh, the the, san, the sand scrape thing. Um, well, I mean, it, it's become a complete and utter parody of itself. Um, but then America, the square edge I, rain I stuff, you know. Like, yeah, and I'd also push back. I think, I think, I think the sand scrape uh, bashing is is big out there, and it, you do you are seeing it in more and more places. However, for places that um, it fits like princes it works incredibly well because the whole landscape is sandy it it can increase you know you can get rid of meadow grass areas completely and it can you can turn four and a half hour rounds into three and a half hour rounds and it just makes the whole thing I, it it has extended perhaps beyond the scope of natural soundscape and i would i would agree with that yeah but it it's certainly like i think it does get does get a, a bashing like a serious but, bashing. But, and that's the challenge with with movements and fashion isn't it so at some point in 20 years we'll look back and go god doesn't that look mm. wasn't that excessive god, where, where have all the bloody trees gone <laughs> yeah and and the the question Aren't of our what, course is short what, we should never have kept we should have actually just bought loads more land yeah. to tee off from and, uh, why is there no trees on these There's courses one what so, you haven't got you know but uh, as to where we go with architecture um, to be different, um, I, I, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the answer is. There. I mean, you do see there were some a few of this, like pioneers, the weren't there? Well, this geometric stuff that you see. Um, so they've tried to restore or, or or reimagine some of the Rainer type features on a few courses. Uh, is it Arcadia Bluffs? Right. Uh, in the states, um, and then you see the odd hole with the sort of square greens and geometric bunkers. But that again, it looks like a, somebody's doing a bad a parody of yeah. of Rainer. I think but there's space I've got, for that question. Um, you touched on it earlier on a little bit. Um, there is a movement of restoration uh, going back to whatever. You can go too far because if you talked about selling that old, you could say, okay, let's let's restore it. Yeah, now let's go back and find out. Great. Um, blind shots and and you know yeah. playing whatever and it's it's is there is the restoring of some of these courses like a vanity project to inst- to restore it because you're saying we've got a cult classic or whatever it is or we've got a, a blackwell we've got a Fowler simpson classic and whatever it is is that you know do you think that's the right thing to be doing or should we be slightly more progressive in our thinking and being yeah, th- this is what it is, but we can make it better, which I think some people are kind of afraid to do just to like, yeah, that's what it, we can improve on it though. Yeah. And, and if you look at the evolution of a lot of these places, they were being made better. I guess the challenge is when people continually believe they can do something better, mm. which um, I, I don't think there's many people practicing that would blow up an original Mackenzie or Colt Par 3 because they think they could do something way better. There's not many. It does happen. It's happened fairly recently with a course that will be on TV this summer. Um, Spill the beans. Well, he's talking about Hoylake, isn't he? <laughs> 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 
but, obviously. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it does, and there's different reasons for s- some of that stuff because of TV. But then, but will that create a better product for that? I mean, I, this exactly. Is not, and that's, this is not going into a podcast debating the 15th hole at Hoylake. I'm not letting it go there because no, that's not what well, this is about. It's a, that's a, di- it's a completely but different thing. But there's loads thing, of different use cases. The game's different. There's a the the average golf. I club, think it's really dangerous to be wedded to this. <clears throat> nostalgic view that no one will ever be better than Colt and McKenzie were or so McDonald and Tillinghast or whatever like I think that's a really dangerous world to get into but I equally think it's very easy to then walk back to the cookie cutter work of the 80s and 90s yeah. you know I mean I, I put me on Twitter or something the other day when they were playing the, the women's um, the, the you know the Chevron Oh, yeah. And it was like it was literally like um, the wonderful Nicholas signature course that it's weaves its way through the woodland and, and then past, past some of the brilliant real estate on the property. Yeah. And I was like, that is exactly real where gold, that is exactly yeah. where architecture went wrong. And then they're at Wilshire, which just yeah. looks absolutely incredible the yeah. the week after. Um, it's but nuts. yeah, but the um, the average golf club though. So back to the original question, I think would massively benefit from having a really good understanding of their heritage. Yeah, their roots. And if I and and I'm not saying restore blindly, just for history's sake, but having an understanding of the original architecture and the intent of it, mm. um wh- why wouldn't you do that? If you had a capability brown uh, Tom didn't f- know who he was. So he's famous. He did not know who Tom. Yeah. But you're going to the spring Capability meeting. Brown you're going to the spring meeting yeah. in Woodley. Yeah, there's a very really nice a Capability, Capability Brown garden. There. He had no so, idea who he was. So Capability Brown and Humphrey Repton, they're the kind of the two big landscape architects who who basically monopolised country house landscaping mm. in, in the UK. If you don't artistry, don't know. really. And yeah, and they, they would make uh, generally a moment for his name. Hmm. His parents called him Capability. Yeah, because they knew he's an extremely competent young man. <laughs> yeah, so I, I don't think name. that was his name. I think it was Lancelot. You'd, you'd never look. Oh, his name uh, wasn't was Capability. Really. It was Lancelot Capability Brown. I'm pretty sure. Well, so the Capability was his middle name. <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah. Well, it was his nickname because yeah. Lancelot Cause wasn't he was cool so capable, enough. Yeah. yeah, but um, yeah, if I'm you not look at your Capability, what's your real, <laughs> what's your real name, Lancelot? It's a good name. But but if you look at a lot of the the golf course architects of the Golden Age, they were practicing exactly the same intent that both uh, Capability Brown and Humphrey Repton were trying to practice which is imitating nature but in a controlled way so they would but have been almost peers and talking a little bit uh, I don't know if they were around the same time that's not my is there a golden age a golden age but there's some people there, like you in garden landscaping you, you go you go to these um, these country houses and they're all pretty much beautiful open uh, fields with strategically placed big prominent trees a stand of pines a river or maybe a lake that is made to look like a river it was all artificially created and it the the Bruce doesn't have kids. He doesn't can't identify. But the three of us sat here can all identify with having to traipse around country houses. But if you look at it through the eyes of a golf course architect, which I quite often do, bored whilst whilst traipsing, yeah, traipsing, it would be akin to just planting conifer trees all over this spectacularly maintained landscape, uh, uh, which is kind of what happens to our golf courses. And if you read what Colt and Mackenzie, amongst others, were were talking about 
imitating nature and having a beautiful place with long vistas. Um, the average British golf club, at least, would benefit massively by just doing some pretty basic things, understanding a bit about their heritage. and Because uh, all they'd see is playing I, lines when they I, all I of I could a push back a little bit and say, you know, the heritage of Blackwell... No, well, the heritage of Blackwell is a nine-hole golf course that was, that was built in 1893. Yeah. We don't yeah. want to restore the, that. The, the you wouldn't 19, want it. In 1923, which is roughly 30 years later when Fowler and Simpson came in. Yeah, because Colt um, was too expensive. Do you know that? Do you think? I did, was yeah. that the reason, was it? Yeah. Colt was I know they. I know they, they looked at a couple and Simpson was chosen as the... Yeah. But, you know, again... But the like, history but like, books are written to? by the victors, aren't they? And they're not. No one's going to write the club centenary and says, "Yeah, we actually we cheaped out on yeah. Simpson because it just it felt like a better deal and Colt yeah. was in demand." But it's a really fair reason to go with someone else. Yeah, and actually, it's given us a really quite but, but, unique. But what product. I mean is, like, how far do you go back? Yeah, exactly, yeah, you wouldn't go back to the whole. So, one one of the things, and and I, I was quite heavily involved with a restoration plan at, at Copteeth, which um, we worked with Frank Pont on, and the idea was to restore Colt's original intent, playing intent, rather than stick all the, the bunkers holes, back yeah. at 180 yards with forced carries to, to make it interesting, because the, world, the world's moved on from that, and there's maintenance regimes, different expectations of turf management, mm. all that sort of stuff. So, But the intent was really important, and the history of the club uh you can't shake the fact it was designed by harry cole and actually if we marketed it in the right way was a really good way of us attracting a, a good level of membership and, and green fee players and that's what i would advocate most clubs do if they've got some sort of sort yeah. of historic interest in the past can we come yes, back to that I'd like to go back. because i think i'm out have you done them all i think so you okay. can't have done six faux pas by now, surely. Um, what did you have on the list? Is Black, I don't think Worth Park. We did that. Wentworth. We did that. Mackenzie and Ross Munger Park. Yeah. Are there any stuff that are half truths that stick in your mind as being like this is totally overblown? Be it Ross saucer shaped. Well, greens, there's a golf course not far from not far from here. Um, designed by Tom Simpson it's called Blackwell you're probably familiar with it yeah yeah it's got a par <laughs> three oh, this is why I knew I it's got a it's got a par three uh, the 13th hole mm. very good par three it's a cracking par three it's to got, be fair yeah, it's an so unbelievable it starts, par three it starts with a T mm. and uh, at the other end there's a green and there's a little bit of water in between. And apparently that was the inspiration for several holes at Augusta. <laughs> well, so you, the, club, you the, tell, club, the, you club main, the club are really passionate that the 13th is a, essentially a blueprint of how, how Jones, when he played there the day after the open in 1930, then went off to design Augusta and then built the 12th hole on that. Now, I have my own reservations on that as a member because I would say that would be somewhat more believable if he wasn't designed the course with the world's greatest golf course architect at the time and he didn't play it when he was completely knackered having, having been borderline dead for yeah. most of nine, the back end of 1930 on the and Grand Slam imagine year. imagine trying to drive... Uh, the I know he roofed a drive on 15 only two holes later. Really? He, oh, yeah, he completely roofed it, just cleared the ditch and then hit an absolute worldie of a, a baffy or something up the left and scuttled it in. You remember where you blew it in the, in the Masters Friday when you were level par? Yeah, thanks. You should have won that and then you, yeah. you, th you just threw sod on the ball. You gave me pims. Yeah. I gave you a pims and then I gave you a really solid yardage and then you yeah. just... You just 
chunked sod on it. Riddled um, with nerves. But I think, and there's a, and I know Stoke Park lay claim to something very similar. So and I think that was the original. Sometimes 16th. the story is better than the actual reality, and that's maybe where we're going full circle with this pod. Is sometimes actually that story just adds colour to the round, whether it's right or not. Sometimes it's just nice, you know. Yeah, and actually one of one of the great things about golf is the history and the stories. Yeah. Um, they don't all need to be true. I mean, New Zealand, I really want to talk about New Zealand is one that I've got in my head because you mentioned Muir Ferguson and I don't want to let you go without you telling us a little bit about the history of New Zealand because yeah. it's fascinating, isn't it? So then, yeah, the New Zealand club is... Isn't there a, like a racetrack and it's a Daily Mail's boss's son, yeah, son-in-law, so something... Cr- there's a, honestly, this is nuts. Very wealthy landowner uh, in, I think it was White's Club in... It was just like a gentleman's club in in London. Um, was sitting down one day, and a few of his pals said, uh, "You should build yourself a golf course. You got enough land." Uh, and they pointed to the guy in the corner reading the newspaper, oh, Ferguson, which was Muir Ferguson, uh, good golfer. Uh, you you know a bit about building golf courses. You should build him a golf course. Um, and off he did, and uh, off he went and built him a golf course. Is this, uh, and I can't remember the chap's name now, who, the landowner, he was Lord something Nor- or other. Does it begin with an N? I don't think it was Nor- Norcroft Nor- or Norcolt. No, I don't, I don't think it was, but he might have been a publishing magnet, maybe. I think it, it was Daily Mail. It's not Norcliffe. No, I don't think it was. I don't think it was that because he was the guy uh, who funded Varden's tour of America, wasn't it? I don't, was it? Right. Yeah, <laughs> and I don't. And I don't think. I don't. He was in. <laughs> the this gr- is the danger of trying to go toe to toe with. I, yeah, I don't. Just, I don't think. I don't think it was Lord Norcliffe, but um, anyway, I should know. This, but then but, there was a racetrack as well. So Brooklyn's Raceway. So he yeah. was. Uh, big motor racer into like in the early days of motor vehicles built himself a banked raceway like a sort um, of NAS, nascar thing yeah like a big 45 degree slope uh, all the way around and the, the remnants of the track are still there um so there's there's like chunks of it where you can still see the banked raceway and a lot of the motor racing companies are sort of headquartered yeah down. mercedes is right yeah. Mercedes yeah. racing is, is there yeah and then i think his wife was uh, and it was a bit of a fashion in in the days. Like there were adventurous women that would be aviators. So in a world where mm. they probably couldn't quite vote yet, but they were doing crazy things like in the early days of aviation, flying these little rustic biplanes. So he built her an aerodrome. So there was an aerodrome, a raceway, and New Zealand golf course. Uh, Our times have like, changed. Yeah, what a brilliant little uh, playground. But I think it's called New Zealand. And I think. Didn't someone own a colony or something? No, I think the story was it was meant to be a getaway that felt as far away from London as you could possibly be, which was New Zealand. I thought, uh, I see, I, I've heard the colony thing as well. Uh, okay. But aren't these stories great? Because, like, and look, I thought, I thought a day in New Zealand's obviously you're very lucky because it's such a private place and, you know, it's, it's, not, it's really not over and it's difficult to get into and, 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 and to, to get onto the course and stuff. But the, when you're there and you see the lockers and you see the names and stuff, and you can make up stories about all of them. We've done that, obviously, down at the spring meeting last year. Um, I think we were pissed at princes in the evening we're talking nonsense about the history of the game and as we kind of get we're both both well we're all quite dry sarcastic characters going to sort of creating these fictitious plot lines 
Yeah. Anyway, Simon's in the halfway hut, which ironically is out on the 12th or something at George's. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like, 13th, a, it's like a two, I think it's it's like the two thirds hut, really, yeah. at George's. Um, and, and we go in, hut. and there's like, there's a few of us. Ryan's in there, there's a few other guys. And uh, they have these tea boxes at George's called the Pinto Teas. And uh, one of them is you'd come up with this person called Fiona Pinto, which is a like a affected character. And had been saying to people that, oh, yeah, Fiona Pinto is quite involved at George's. But didn't she design the, was it the socks at the, Fisher's Island? The socks, yeah. The, the socks, socks at Fish. So he was telling this story in the halfway house. <laughs> the woman is in there serving the soup and the sausage I've got rolls. these stripy socks on. And uh, so, yeah, these are... Fisher Island members only version and people go oh that's that's pretty niche that is given that we're into niche golf things mm. and then this rather you started saying it's Fiona Pinto obviously there's Pinto this rather abrasive woman <laughs> behind the bar went uh, that is yeah, <laughs> Fiona Pinto definitely wouldn't do that I know her that's absolutely yeah. <laughs> her father's <laughs> been a member here and she, she would definitely not do that that's a load of BS <laughs> Uh, which we thought was amusing because we were just winding people up. But yeah, I'm going to give you two is questions. There, hang on, hang on a is there a level of um, knowledge you get to? Because like you're pretty much our go-to guy for historical knowledge. So anything image-based, or just just if we need to just fact-check something, we go to you and say, "Hey, is, is this right?" And you come back with yay and a, and you pretty much tell us nay. And then doesn't fact-check everything. Then in fairness, that's where we make mistakes. Um, yeah, the one we do make mistakes when we don't do it. Is there a level of knowledge you can get to where you can suddenly, now nah, that no one's, you, you can just, now I can just make it up because no one's going to question me anymore? Yeah, if you have a degree of authority in the way you deliver it, yeah, I think you probably could. I mean, it's worked on you guys. It's back to, the, no, 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 jokes <laughs> aside, it's back on a podcast no, about it. It is, it's like back to the point of Valley of the Blind, One-Eyed Man is brains. Yeah. Of course it does. Like, I mean, like, Valley of the Blind, One-Eyed Man is King. Like, if you deliver it with conviction, and I, that's why I think the role of a course architect is actually not always steeped in competence. Certainly, their success. You know, and there's, there's loads yeah. of people who pick up because if it's you can stand up and deliver a compelling yeah. message to people, you will mobilise people behind you, and that's like that's ultimately what a lot of these things are about. And I, I always not took the view, podcasting. I'm talking about us. Like, yeah, you know, I think for us, a lot of it's a learning journey, and I, I think maybe at times I try and profess like I know too much, but maybe I know a little bits about like the, the Muir Ferguson thing and them yeah. speculating. But it comes from a good place. But when you trade heavily off it, some people just deliver a very compelling message, rightly or wrongly. And a lot of people are, are doing it as salespeople, mm. whether it's an architect or a, a broadband. golf historian. Yeah, I mean, I sell broadband, so I'm not really into selling my, my golf wares. But a lot of architects do exactly that and always have, always have done. So, I mean, if you see an architect having a pitch to generally a pretty lay population, so a golf committee that maybe know a bit about golf, but don't know anything about golf, golf design or they might not be well-traveled. It's, yeah. it's, it's hard work and you've got well, to you do steer them away from the work on the triple S I ground <coughs> and you say to them, well, actually, you go for this and, yeah. and the but stuff you, that loads the construction budgets a little higher yeah, or whatever. Yeah, exactly. You, I mean, you, you, you're doing a, a sales job and I'm by no means a, a historian. I'm a sort of avid amateur who's passionate about it. But there are professional uh, historians out there that are seriously impressive. Um, and you get the knowledge through. You can't really cheat it. You just got to get it through um, through tenure and study and experience. And I'm going to push back a bit, a little bit, Haynes, because 
It's your role you on are, this podcast as are, a contrarian. Well, no, but you are a very impressive historian, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't put yourself down like that because the the, the level of knowledge you've attained over your lifetime of dedicating to golf is truly catamite to exceptional, inspirational, and I think. It sounds like a perfect moment at one hour fifty. Well, I have one question podcast. before I want to get him out of it. So I've, thank you. No one's going to So I've got one this. question I want to ask him before I let him get out of it, and I've got a deal that I want to make with him before he signs off the pod. Is that right? Yep. My first, my first question. And I'll come on to the deal as well as part of this. First question is: I want to know where in golf history, what moment in time would you travel back to if I gave you a reverse trip in a time in a time machine? Where would you go and when? Beware, but I'll let you muse on that for a second. And the second question before I let you get out of here, will you do an Eclectic 18 episode with us on holes from the past? I.e. Yeah. Holes this you can't hole, play anymore? Or? Well, all holes that were very, maybe a lot better back then. Would you complete an Eclectic 18? Yeah. So an Eclectic 18 based on like, oh my God, I mean, you might not pick the first at so-and-so now, but like, oh my God, you should have seen it back then. Yeah. That type of thing. I think that would be an amazing episode. And then the second question, which is, I think, hopefully a good question to close this on is, when would you go back to in history? And in my when? time machine. Do you think you could do an Eclectic 18 from 18 different architects? I prefer that my idea. Be, no, 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 no. I'm just, I'm just wondering whether that's possible. <laughs> uh, yeah, there'd be 18. I... There's like a guy that made like works of art with. There's all sorts of random architects out there, but yeah. it's just we only ever talk about like sure an I echo could, chamber of sure. half a dozen in the UK I'm and three sure or four in America. Architects. Yeah, you do. Definitely, there could. are definitely there though. Oh yeah, of course they are. But not sure right. how good it would um, be. So, so I, time machine. So I probably go. Can I have two? Where so? I want to have you two. Two. Yeah. Okay. Go, yeah. Two. Yeah, so I, I want to go uh, to the eleventh green uh, at Marion, nineteen thirty. Which uh, I was lucky enough to play Marion a few years ago, and we were there uh, the day before they have their annual uh, celebration dinner for that moment. And it's a black tie event, and everybody uh, at the dinner walks down to the eleventh green. All the members quite walk. close to Clubhouse. Richie Ramsey said, no, not, 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 not really. It's kind of down in, way the, out, in the corner, and they they all walk down in the black can tie I, and, can I, and for, toast. For, for our for our listeners that don't know this, we're talking about Bobby Jones. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Yeah, Bobby Jones Grand Slam completion. Bobby Jones Grand Slam moment yeah. beating Eugene Homans uh, on the eleventh hole Which in the thirty-six hole match. 30, yeah, the, the, yeah, yeah. So I'd like to go there just because it was such great a great photo. Moment if you go golf. to the Blackwell Golf Club social media page yeah um and scroll through a, a, a carousel of photos of yours i posted yeah on there um and follow the blackwell golf club social media page i'd encourage you to do that at the same time but so, you can see the scene and it's electric they're all charging aren't just, they yeah it's amazing and some of the yeah some of the crowds uh following him at that event are quite spectacular so um that would be one and the other is i'd like to go and stay in the tent with colton crump for that week he spent at Pine Valley in late May, 1913. Late May. <laughs> if we can get the date, if if, if eating, Michael Wolf listens to this podcast, which I doubt, eating snapper soup and uh, yeah, talking about building amazing golf holes in sand and pine, that would be a dream. Simon Haynes, you've been a very good and uh, comprehensive it's guest been, to this podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. Are you going to say adios? Adios. Watch this. 